All right. Well, Scripture opens with the book of Genesis in the beginning. And if you read through Genesis, what you find is the first 11 chapters of this book are full of just epic stories about how the world was created, what God was up to in the world. And it's fun to read through them, stories of Adam and Eve, stories of the flood, stories of the Tower of Babel. And then around Genesis chapter 12, uh, something interesting happens in the text. And there's actually, the, the text gets very personal. And there's a story about a man named Abraham uh, that, that has this encounter with God, and God speaks to him, and it changes his life, and it changes the course of history. And in Genesis chapter 12, we'll start there. Verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, uh, this is his name before it's Abraham, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, And you will be a blessing. This text is kind of uh, part of what we know as the Abrahamic covenant. This this encounter that he has with God, this relationship where he has with God, where God says, I have this plan for you, I have this task for you, and I want you to know as you go and do it, I'm going to bless you. And then as that happens, you're going to become a blessing. And I'm going to do my work now through this people that come from you. You're going to be blessed to be a blessing. There will be blessings for you to be a blessing to other people. I like to think that if you're watching a movie and there's kind of like this prologue of an opening scene that takes place before the present day story and then it kind of fades to black. I kind of imagine that happening here and then all of a sudden we're in present day. This early call in Abraham's life to be blessed, to be a blessing. Last week we started a, a series on Galatians. Uh, called Let's Say Grace, and we've been talking about how throughout Galatians, uh, the, the, the message that, that is in Galatians is Paul's writing to the church, the churches around Galatia, and he's saying that this whole story with us and God, it's all about this idea of grace, that God has uh, made a way for us, and this life that he offers us here and now and also for eternity is based on grace, and, and throughout this letter, what we find, Paul is kind of distilling the message of, of this story down to this idea that this is a gift from God. And so he's writing to a bunch of churches in Galatians, and what he's wanting them to know, we find in the first chapter. He talks about this idea that they've abandoned their calling as God's people, and what is their calling? It's this idea of living in the grace of Christ. We are called as God's people to live in the grace of Christ. And so last week we looked at Galatians 1 and 2, and and talked about this idea that when we live in the grace of Christ, we experience freedom. We experience freedom when we live in the grace of Christ. And if he's kind of distilling this gospel message down to this idea that, that we, are, we are saved by grace, all of this is a gift, we see life as a gift, and it sets us free from all the things that we think we have to do to, to earn our salvation or to keep God happy. And we journey through life knowing that we have received this gift. And Galatians 3, what Paul does is he picks up back to this old story of Abraham. And he starts talking as he's kind of building his argument, telling these churches, this is all about grace and what God has done for you. He says this in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 3. It says, consider Abraham. He believed in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. 
Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through you. So he picks up on this language that we just looked at in Galatians or in Genesis 12. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Then he kind of starts to define what this idea of being blessed uh, is. He says, you, he redeemed us in order that the blessing, blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Verse 16 says, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. He says this idea that Abraham, that you're going to be blessed to be a blessing. What he's talking about is that, that through Abraham, Jesus would come. The Son of God would come into this world through his lineage and be a blessing to everybody. And now, in faith, we become children of Abraham and heirs to this promise. He goes on to say, so in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ, and there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free uh, or male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. What Paul's doing here is he's helping remind people of an identity they have that goes all the way back to Genesis 12. This relationship we have with God, we are children of God, and this promise that was given to Abraham that you would be blessed, but that you would also be a blessing is part of the identity of the people of God. We've been blessed. We've been blessed to be a blessing. We've been blessed to be a blessing. This last year, uh, actually last couple of years, I've been reading through a really boring book called The Patient Ferment, and it's all about how like the early church uh, basically transformed the Roman Empire in the first three centuries. And, and they do it with patience. It requires a very patient read. Um, I nerd for that kind of stuff. But uh, it's interesting as they talk about like kind of the, the dynamic of the early church and the, some of the values and the things that, that made them unique in culture, two of the things that, that the themes that just keep coming back up idea, uh, keep coming back up is this idea of being blessed and blessing others. Or you might say gratitude, recognizing God's gifts for us in this world, and generosity, realizing that these gifts flow through us to other people. Blessed to be a blessing, gratitude and generosity. And gratitude and generosity are very counterculture. They're, they're these powerful things that when you're around people that are, that are just gracious, you, you, just, you realize that there's something so uh, appealing about them. People that just look at life and see the gifts, they, they focus on the good things in their life. And generous people, it's so compelling, it's contagious to be around people that they just, they, their lives are just blessing other people. This was so uh, ingrained in the early church, this idea that they were blessed to be a blessing that, and they were gracious for what God had done so that they could be generous to others. And it's a powerful, powerful message. And when we think about kind of uh, this season that we're in, we're heading towards Thanksgiving. We're going through this book of Galatians that's all about grace and God's gift. Honing in on the idea of gratitude, what we are grateful for, and generosity, what we're doing with our lives, I think is so important. God's people, heirs to Abraham. 
have been blessed to be a blessing. When we live in the grace of Christ, we don't only experience freedom, but our hearts are full of gratitude and generosity. I had a science teacher um, when I was in the seventh grade. I went to this small private Christian school, and the science teacher would always sing songs. He was like, uh, what is it, the big stingray on Finding Nemo? There's nothing, you know, like always singing all sorts of songs that allowed us to, you know, remember things. But he, he had all sorts of these isms, and like one of them was, uh, he, he, would, he would tell us about this idea of, of SSR, stop and smell the roses. And uh, we'd go around the class and share our SSR moments, stopping and smelling the roses, and, and it has stuck with me since seventh grade, so it worked. Um, but this is a, a practice that, when, when you practice this idea of stopping and smelling the roses, you're actually practicing gratitude. When you stop and, and realize you know, there's good things in this world, and I'm grateful for them. This was a moment for me that I just appreciate. This is where I slow down and I recognize something good that is happening in my life. And I think the practice of gratitude is compelling because it does something to us. I would say it's actually a spiritual discipline to practice gratitude, to write down the things uh, that, that we are grateful that God has blessed us with. Uh, gratitude, when we practice gratitude, gratitude helps us interpret our past differently. There's one thing right there. It helps us to interpret our past differently when we're gracious, when we write down the things that we're grateful for. I've gone through a couple seasons in my life that were just like the dark night of the soul. I can think of two kind of extended seasons that, that felt that way, where I just felt like God is gone. I don't feel God. I don't know what he's up to. I'm disappointed with results I've been trying to get. I've been heartbroken. I felt betrayed. And you go through these terrible seasons. And, and now that you're, you're through them, when you're going through them, they just feel miserable. But it's interesting when I look back at them, one of those seasons was like when I was still a teenager. Um, you have all sorts of different perspective. And when you look back at those seasons that are challenging, those trials, those difficulties, and you just start to kind of give thanks for the things that came out of them, what you realize is that God is with you in the midst of those seasons. And when you see that when, when God is with you and he hangs with you and you hang with him, you, you get through these seasons and you look back and you realize that God's actually doing this great work in my soul, in my heart, forming me, shaping me. And I kind of interpret those events differently because of this relationship with God. I can see that, that the things that I've gone through in my past, I can be grateful for because they were gifts even when they're frustrating and hard. I'm a big college basketball fan, excited that the college basketball season is uh, starting. Started up last week. Uh, can't wait to get to some GCU games. That place is nuts. So, so fun to go see a basketball game there. But last year, um, I loved, I'm going to brag about this because I'm pretty excited about what happened. But I won the March Madness pool here at Desert City. My brother puts this pool on, and um, it's for charity, but then I got like 50%, which was awesome. And one of the things that I did was I picked the winner of the tournament, and I picked Virginia. And if you know anything about Virginia's story, they were a one seed. They're the only one seed in the history of the March Madness tournament that got beat in the first round. And so it was embarrassing, devastating for their players, uh, no team wanted to be the first number one seed to lose. Um, no team wanted to go through that, and that happened the year before. And so going into this season, I love their coach. I think he's a great coach. Uh, 
they're getting ready for the tournament. I think they're ranked as a one seed again. And as I was getting ready to choose, you know, uh, predict my predictions, being the college basketball analyst that I am, um, had a feeling that Virginia was going to play and make up for what had happened the year before. The year before, they lost as a one seed. They're going to get knocked out. And I was like, that would just be a great story if they came back and won it all this year. And in fact, the only way for them to redeem what happened last year is they have to win a championship this year. So I picked them to win. Uh, it was amazing that when they, they get through the tournament and they have a couple just really close games, get a couple breaks, get a couple good calls, end up winning the tournament. And their coach, they were kind of interviewing him after they were celebrating the championship. And he started, they started talking about how do you go from like being number one seed, getting knocked out last year in the first round, the embarrassment of that, the devastation of that, and then coming back this year and winning it all. And he says the thing that had happened the year before, when they lost in the first round and they had the embarrassment of knowing we're the only team that has ever had that happen, he called it the painful gift. The painful gift. And I, I thought about that phrase, the painful gift. Like how, like we never think of pain as a gift or difficulties as something to be grateful for. And yet it did something in his players that formed them to be the championship team that they were the next year, the painful gift. When we see the things that happen in our life and we're grateful for them, even though they're difficult, even though they stink, even though we don't like going through them, the story that we have where God is with us in his sovereignty and in with the scope of eternity, what we find is even those kind of gifts we can be grateful for. Trials develop something inside of us. When we're grateful people, when we stop and smell the roses, when we focus on the gifts that God has given us, what we find is that we interpret our past differently. Second thing gratitude does. Oh, and I love this, by the way, when it comes to the painful gift. Charles Spurgeon, the great theologian, says, here's kind of what tends to happen when we think of our, our gifts and our blessings. He says, we're too prone to engrave our trials in marble and write our blessings in the sand. We're too prone to engrave our trials in marble and then write our blessings in the sand. Gratitude helps us interpret our past differently. Gratitude also helps us overcome envy and entitlement. Gratitude helps us to overcome envy and entitlement. Ingratitude, ungratitude, ingratitude, is that a word? Ingratitude is, is something that destroys community when we are ungracious. We become entitled. We become envious of others. When we are, instead of focusing on the things that we are blessed, when our, when our eyes are on something else, it does something inside of our soul that just disrupts relationships, community. And I think this is particularly hard uh, in, in, in church circles where we're supposed to be living life with one another and, and, and have a sense of community and authenticity because it's so hard to not just compare our lives to other people. And so we spend so much of our time focusing on others, comparing what they have to what we have, and we live in this culture where what we have uh, equals our value. And it's almost like the culture is discipling us into this idea of all of our worth and our values wrapped up in what we have. Uh, social media kind of inflames this, uh, but we, we live in a culture where it's just hard not to compare. And, and it, that does something to our soul. It does, instead of focusing on what we have, we focus on what everyone else has that we don't have. It's almost like a contagion that gets into relationships, and it's destructive for relationships. 
But when we're gracious, when, we're, when we have a heart of gratitude, uh, it, it helps us overcome these things. Um, there's a, a great book that was written uh, called Grace Matters by Chris Rice. And he talks about how divisive ingratitude can be in a community. He says, talking about people who live in community together, he says, I already knew how much living in community intensified comparisons between people because I was prone to it myself. No matter who you were, there were endless ways to see yourself on the losing end. I think about that line. No matter who you were, there were endless ways to see yourself on the losing end. Constantly reminded that someone else got their way more often. They had a nicer cat, had a child who was more advanced and got more attention, got listened to for their opinions more, or had found a marriage partner while you were single. Unfairness stared you right in the face every single day around the dinner table. Living so intensely together, comparison could be dangerously and divisively habit-forming. And what gratitude does is it releases us from, from what envy, what comparison can do. We live in this culture that, that we, we have more than, than most people, and yet we, we find ourselves more depressed. We find ourselves going to dark places. We find ourselves not right. There's something that inside of our soul feels like it's just withering away, and so much of our eyes are just focused on what we don't have. Gratitude. Gratitude helps us to overcome those feelings, to be blessed, to see life as a gift, to recognize the good things that God has done for us and is doing in us is a powerful thing. Gratitude is something that releases us from that. And then finally, gratitude helps us. It helps us to live into the grace that is present in our lives. It helps us to, to, to not only interpret things of the past and not look around, but the things that God is doing, we start to live into that grace. We see life as a gift. It allows us to be present and thankful. It allows us to say, you know, what, what we have going here is good. God is good. Gratitude has a way of allowing us to live into the grace that is present in our lives right here and right now. Love this passage in Micah chapter 7. It says this, Who is, God, who is a God like you, who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not, do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our fathers in days long ago. When we are gracious people, we focus on the gifts. We're present to the gifts that we have in life right now. How do we become gracious? How do we practice gratitude? Something we do every Thanksgiving, I'm sure most of you do too, when you go around the table and you eat, what's one thing that you're grateful for? But what if you start to work this into your prayer life and your prayer journal, just reflecting on the blessings that God has? The blessing that comes, salvation from Jesus' death and resurrection. We've been blessed. There's eternal implications of the gift we receive, but there's also things for here and now that we receive as gifts from God. to write those down, to reflect on them. To not just write them in the sand, but to reflect on the goodness of God. The grace we received was meant to be distributed. So it wasn't just something that we are blessed for, we are, we are saved for. Um, 
But there's always a purpose for it. And for Abraham, it says that he was blessed by God, but he was blessed to be a blessing. And of course, there's, there's the eternal implications that come that Jesus is coming from Abraham. But there's also something about him carrying this message of, of what God wants to do in the lives of people and being someone who helps distribute that message to others. Whether it's the message of salvation and Jesus, we proclaim this gospel as a church, or the call to, to be a blessing to others every single day. We see our lives as gifts, that God has done something in us, and so we live life differently now. We are his people, his body, his hands and feet, and we live our lives generously. The grace we receive was meant to be distributed. It was never just meant for us. Generosity, it flows from our identity as children of a generous God. Generosity flows from our identity. We are children of a generous God, a God who, who gave his life for us. We are called to be generous people. I had a pastor write this, and I appreciate it, talking about this, Genesis 12. It says, God, God tells a man named Abraham that he's going to bless him, and through him he's going to bless the whole world. The blessing is instrumental in nature. God wants to use Abraham to flow through him, to have him be a conduit through whom God will bless everybody else. Abraham is just this vessel. God didn't choose people just so they'll feel good about themselves or secure in their standing with God or whatever else, but he chooses people so that they can be used to bless God, to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of this story where we are children of God. This blessing we receive is never just for us. We're to be a generous people where we bless others. The blessing is never the end in itself. It flows out from us to other people. The second is generosity releases our hearts from the grip of materialism. Generosity is something that I think God calls us to do because the world needs it, but he calls us to do it because our own heart and our own soul needs it. To be generous people, to allow the life of, of God's grace to flow out of us, but to let things go. To know that these are gifts that we receive, that we allow others to have. Generosity has this way of just releasing the grip of material on us. Uh, I've used this analogy before, but um, it reminds me of, of the Dead Sea over in the Holy Land. The Dead Sea is a, a place where nothing can live. Um, why is that? Well, water flows into the Dead Sea, and it cr doesn't flow out of the Dead Sea. It just flows into the Dead Sea, and it stays there. It collects all sorts of minerals, salt. Uh, you can go swim in the Dead Sea, and you actually are, you can float. The water so dense that you're buoyant. Um, and I think the same thing kind of happens with our soul when we receive gifts, when we receive things that we hold on to that we don't be generous with, it, it pours into our own soul. And then when it doesn't flow out, it just accumulates, uh, I don't know, salt in our soul and nothing there can live. When we're generous with the gifts that God gives us, when it flows out of us to other people, it, it, it's like releasing whatever comes into us to our soul, which allows life to live. Generosity releases our hearts from the grip of materialism. And we are all material girls living in a material world, right? <laughs> Terrible joke. Um, but the idea that, that when, we, when we are generous with what God gives us, uh, there's something powerful that happens in our own soul. We join God. I think what's, what's interesting is when we, you know, when we think about like, generosity, often we think you know, this is something that we, we have to do and it's painful and it's hard or that when we, when we are generous with our stuff, 
we actually, uh, we, we, our world shrinks or we, we lose something, whether it's we lose possessions or we lose our bank account shrinks. But, but gener- generosity has a way of actually expanding our soul and expanding our world and expanding our heart. Generosity expands uh, our hearts for the things of God when we're generous. It expands our world. It expands our heart because this is who God is. He's a generous God. And there's something about that. That, that is life-giving, the blessing that we have received. It expands our hearts for the things, the heart of God. This year, as we head towards Thanksgiving, as we head towards a time of being grateful, um, we're reminded of great need in our world. And so we become grateful and generous people, generous with what God has given us to be a blessing to others. I'm going to close with this story about... Uh, a parable of the talents that I'm sure you've heard before. It's always good to be reminded of it. It takes place in Matthew chapter 25. And I want to just read through this and let you listen. And Jesus is telling a parable, and he's talking about the economy of the kingdom. And he says this in verse 14. He says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, and to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one who, uh, with two talents, gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents bought the other five master. He brought the other five master. See, uh, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. The master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put your money in a deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would have received back the interest. Then he says to take this talent from him. And give it to the one who had ten talents. For everyone who has been given more, he will have an abundance. But who does not have, even what he does have, will be taken from him. It's an interesting story, and it sounds harsh, and you wonder, like, we're talking about grace, right? Like, what's going on? This doesn't sound like grace. Uh, But you find that this, this man who doesn't do anything with the gift that's been given to him, he has, first of all, he misunderstands what the master is like. He says, you are a harsh man. He has this this. Uh, it's like he misses the, the, the fact that the master gave him a gift in the first place. And then he does nothing with the gift that he's received. And what he finds is that when the master comes back, the master's frustrated and says, why haven't you done something with what you've been given? I think that there's, there's something here that, that it, we, as we've been given a gift, we've been given a gift with grace. We're called to do something with it. The world needs it. There's too much pain and brokenness in this world for us not to use it. And we ourselves need it. 
to be good stewards, to, to allow our heart and soul be formed, to be formed into the mind of our God, be formed into the image of our God, where he works in our lives as a generous God, calling us to be generous people. Blessed to be a blessing. We receive this gift of grace, this relationship that we have with God, and with it comes this great calling to be a certain kind of people. When we live in the grace of Christ, we are full of gratitude. We are full of generosity. This year as we head towards Thanksgiving and we think of the things that we are grateful for, let us be people who see ourselves as blessed. Let us write down these blessings, not in sand but in marble, reminded of God's faithfulness this year. And let us have generous hearts to others in the midst of a broken world, in the midst of a world uh, that is crying out in pain. May God's people be generous. May we be blessings. That the grace isn't just for us, that it flows through us to others. Today we're going to uh, celebrate grace with communion. Tim's going to come back up, and we're going to spend some time just reflecting on God's good gifts in our lives. Communion is something that represents the good gifts. It's something that we do, we remember, we give thanks for the salvation we received from Christ. That we are heirs to this promise of being blessed so that we can be a blessing. And today as we head to the communion table, let us come with grateful hearts. Reflecting on what God has done this year, what God is doing right now in us. And then let's also be people who proclaim this message. That this generous God who loved us so much that gives us life. We are people who are generous and bring life to others. This grace that we have received flows out of us to other people. Let us not only receive and give thanks at the table, but also let's proclaim this gospel message that we are a part of. So today as we come to the table, uh, we have two tables set up on each side of the room. We invite you to communion. We practice open communion here. If you're a follower of Jesus, we say come to the table and partake. Let us live in the grace of Christ so that our hearts may be full that we may be generous and grateful. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful. We've been blessed with so much. There's so much that we take for granted. In small things every day, and also in, in eternal things that you've made a way for us. That you offer us a life of freedom that you give us a gift. Lord, we want to be good stewards of this gift of salvation, but also of just the gifts that you entrust us every single day. Lord, that our heart would reflect your heart for the world. To be full of gratitude and generosity. Lord, in this time where we slow down and reflect, we give you praise for your goodness. We're reminded of the gifts you give. This Thanksgiving season, Lord, we recognize that we are blessed. And we know, Lord, that we are blessed to be a blessing. May your life flow through your church today. In your name we pray.